Good morning, or I guess it's afternoon or night where you are. <laughs> yeah, it, it's night too. Pretty good. I mean, oh, you just woke up. <laughs> this is this is my start of my day, but so far it's off to a great start because I get to talk to you. Well, hello there. You are listening to Christ for Climate, a podcast hosted by me, Abby K. Griffith where I interview individuals who are currently tackling the climate crisis, highlighting their voices and educating about all things climate change. Climate change is an urgent issue which affects us all. And so I hope this podcast makes it seem a little bit less overwhelming and encourages you to take action today. Woohoo! We made it! Oh my gosh, it's episode four. I'm so excited. I can't believe how far this podcast has come. Thank you to every single one of my listeners for coming back and listening week after week, devoting your time to learning more about the climate crisis. I couldn't have done it without you. It's really a dream come true. But you know it's even more a dream come true? Getting to interview all the amazing people who are currently tackling the climate crisis. Like this week, let me introduce Mitzi Jonelle Tan, a youth climate justice activist who is located in the Philippines. Being an activist in 2017, she has been interviewed multiple times, spoken in front of global leaders, led many movements and protests, and is the leader of many climate justice organizations within the Philippines. I have been a huge supporter and fan of her for years, digesting all of her content on Instagram and watching all of her interviews. Really, she is incredible and very, very well-spoken, and I it's, it's truly an honor to be able to interview her today. So without further ado, please enjoy. Hi there. I wanted to add a small disclaimer before we start this episode. This interview did occur over Zoom, and so I apologize if the audio is glitchy or cuts out at some point. I tried my best to edit around it, but as you know, Mitzi and I across the world from each other, so we had to do what we had to do. Thank you for understanding, and enjoy. Hi! Hello! So first of all, hello, introduce yourself, like what's your name, where do you live, other hobbies, passions, everything about you. Hey everyone, I'm Mitzi Janelle Tan, I'm based in Metro Manila, Philippines. Hobbies and passions, I'm not entirely sure. I like to paint and cross stitch sometimes and I love the color pink I don't really know myself that well I'm kidding but um, <laughs> I also the beach but really most of my time and work goes into becoming being a climate justice activist um so I am part of Youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines which is the Fridays for Future of our country also part of Fridays for Future MAPA which is the most effective peoples and areas kind of like the global south arm of Fridays for Future, and I also organize with Fridays for Future International. So it's quite time-consuming, so that's most of uh, my day, really, just going into climate activism. That is amazing. Yeah, well, you kind of dived into it already, but what is your view on climate change, your perspective on, like, the climate crisis, the environment, and how did you become interested in this topic? Coming from the Philippines, which is one of the most vulnerable countries in the world for the climate crisis, it's kind of something that I just grew up with. 
seeing the typhoons ravaging our country and our community and experiencing floods going into our house. And even though at a young age, I didn't even know that what I was experiencing was climate change. It was something that kind of stuck with me for a very long time. And then when I did finally learn and educate myself about the climate crisis, and I realized that what we were experiencing, what I experienced growing up was the climate crisis, I realized the injustice that surrounded it. I really decided to be an activist, I would say, in 2017, and I was able to talk to an indigenous leader from our land. And he told us about how they were being harassed and displaced and killed and militarized, all for protecting the forests and their land and our planet, really. And then ever so simply, he shrugged and chuckled and said, that's why we have no choice but to fight that. And that was when I realized that I had this bubble of privilege. And that kind of just burst. I realized that I had this privilege to, quote unquote, choose to be an activist. When there are people who are so pushed into activism that to not be an activist is even worse, has even worse consequences. And I realized that who am I to not join that struggle for the protection of our planet? And as I educated myself and empowered myself with knowledge and learned more about the environmental emergency and the climate crisis, I realized that he was right. Really, at this point, none of us have a choice but to fight back because this is the home that we're fighting for. Absolutely. I agree. And that's why when I was given the opportunity to kind of take on a global issue, I knew this was the issue that I wanted to take on because it's kind of like it can't be ignored anymore. I feel like for the longest time, it was like, something that we could shove in the back of the closet, but I don't think there's any possibility for that to be hidden anymore. Exactly. Like, it's so often that people think that the climate crisis is a problem in the future and not something that's happening today, but it is a problem that's already happening today across the world. And really, the only way to approach the climate crisis is at a global level, but also at a national level. So speaking about national and different countries and things, why do you think this has become such a polarized issue? Like here in the U.S., it seems to become so political, one side or the other. Why do you think it's become like that? I think it's because of the way the people in power who benefit from the fossil fuel industries and the destruction of our planet really controls mainstream media and the way we're educated also so that you think that the climate crisis is either not real, it doesn't exist um, for a lot of climate uh, denialists in other countries, or it's something that can be solved with reducing, reusing, and recycling and turning your lights off and individual lifestyle change. The system that's causing the climate crisis isn't going to give us the tools to dismantle the system that caused it, right? So it's so difficult really to find this information sometimes, although we are seeing more and more that climate activism and um, climate justice is becoming a more popular and mainstream topic, but it's still something that we need to really connect even more to, let's say, the roots of colonialism, capitalism, and imperialism, and how the climate crisis is connected to sexism and racism and ableism, and how all of these systems of injustice and oppression really play into each other and amplify each other. And I think that's why it's also so political or or polarized, because... There is so much at stake and because the climate crisis is such a polarizing topic in the sense that, you know, you can't talk about climate justice without talking about racial justice and gender justice and class justice and all of this. And that will push the buttons for the wrong people, right? For the people in power, usually for the people who have privilege. And that's why it's such a difficult thing to talk about. It's such a big 
issue to talk about, but it's something that we have to start tackling little by little because that's the only way that we can really achieve climate justice by connecting all these issues together. Absolutely. I interviewed two other women who, in the past two episodes I've recorded, they both mentioned this kind of domino effect, how it feels like one domino tips and all the rest of them fall like climate change is just the tipping point and then you rip you notice all these other injustices all these other issues in our political systems and our social systems and all these other systems and so it's amazing that you brought that up because it really is very important point that everything is connected so we have to start chipping away now exactly why is it important for other youth to get involved in this way i think it's so important for young activists to get involved because the youth is a special sector, I would say, because we are present in every sector. There are young workers, there are young farmers, there are young indigenous peoples, there are young um, fisher folk, there are young um, intellectuals, etc. And when all of these people, all of these groups of society come together, then it's almost like we're uniting the entire society, and that's so important. And we've seen how Every generation of young people is a very revolutionary generation. We've seen how in historical moments of society, the youth have been there alongside the most marginalized sectors of society, leading the way to change. And so this is just the latest wave of revolution. This is just the latest wave of young people changing the world for the better. I also think, I mean, we're the next generation. It's like, Unfortunately, but fortunately, it's coming onto our shoulders and it's kind of like we're the next people to take lead, to become the new leaders, to become the new people. So it's definitely that way. We kind of talked about a little bit your experience living and being an activist in the Philippines, but um, I'm from the United States and so that I know that is a very, very different perspective. And so like being from a different country as I, why do you think... Or, like, how do our perspectives on climate change differ? And then also, how do you think your perspective differs from someone who lives in Germany, from someone who lives in South Africa, from someone who lives in Sweden, all these different countries? I definitely think that um, activists and people from different countries have such different perspectives because of the different lived experiences. And I think the difference of that is what makes climate activism a lot more holistic and and the experience of being a climate activist that does a lot of international work a lot more um it feels a lot richer because then you are able to experience and learn from different cultures and hear from different points of view and it's really cool to see how even though we are coming from different languages different cultures let's say very different experiences a lot of the time you can find something that you can fight for together something that can unite you and I think that's so powerful and so strong because that's kind of what we need really like that global collaboration and I have friends from across the world because of climate activism and it's such a special community and it's such a heartwarming experience to know that there's someone in every country fighting for the same thing that you are and it kind of just lifts me up knowing that I'm not alone in this fight. Absolutely that I think as I started to do research I noticed how many people were really on this fight. And it's crazy because I feel like a lot of times it can feel like there's a bunch of different groups like 
no, don't believe in climate change, believe in climate change, here's what you need to do, here's what not to do, and it can get, like, really overwhelming at points, but it is nice to step back and see all the people who are kind of fighting for the same thing, who have the same perspective, and yet they have different ways that they can impact being from different countries, being from different backgrounds and ethnicities, and being from different places and situations, so it's just cool how everyone can play their own part, it may be a different part, because we're all living in a different situation, but it's nice knowing that everyone's fighting for the same thing. No, exactly. And it's so important that we also learn from each other and hold each other accountable, especially since we're all coming from different levels of privilege and the privilege spectrum, I guess. Um, so it's so important that we're able to learn from each other and hold each other accountable and really help each other grow as a movement and as individuals as well. So speaking on those different groups of peoples and nations and um, do you feel like not every single individual or country or different ethnicity is being heard in this fight for climate change? And also, how are the different groups of people affected? You kind of talked about how in the Philippines, activists are kind of counted as terrorists sometimes and are not treated as fairly. So do you feel like that's also happening in other countries? You can talk more about how that's happening in your country. Definitely, especially across the world, you can see that countries in the global north don't experience the impacts of the climate crisis as bad, or maybe not even at all, depends on the country, of course, um, compared to the countries in the global south, which are the ones who are least responsible for the climate crisis. And oftentimes, people of color marginalized groups, people of the global south, these are the voices that we don't hear and that we don't see. Um, the movement, I think, is getting better and changing and pushing mainstream media and holding others accountable, but it's still something that we have to actively fight against because we're still seeing how you know, a lot of world leaders still think that the climate crisis is a problem in the future, which means they're ignoring the voices of the people of color especially from the global south, who are already experiencing the climate crisis and telling them that the climate crisis is already here. I think it's so important to note that there are different levels of privilege. So let's say I'm in the Philippines, so globally, I'm one of the people who are more affected by the climate crisis. But in my own country, as someone who has access to education, has a home, I'm not as affected compared to people who are more economically marginalized or, or small farmers or indigenous peoples or small fisher folk. And so it's really understanding how those different levels of privilege play into each other and how we can amplify and support and stand in solidarity really and fight alongside the most marginalized communities across the world. So yeah, um, so you kind of talked about keeping each other accountable. Besides that and including that, what do you think are the next steps for the younger generation, for the older generation, for political leaders? What do you think are those next steps and the actions needed to take to improve the future? Lots of next steps, actually. One of the most urgent steps is the drastic carbon dioxide emission cuts, especially from the global north, and really getting rid of the fossil fuel industry. But alongside that, really demanding for climate reparations from the global north to be paid to the global south countries, which includes um, technology transfer so that we actually have the technology and intellectual property rights for renewable energy systems, etc. And that we can use this technology and the money, the reparations to adapt and to minimize and to deal with the loss and damages that we're already experiencing um that sounds like a big first step already but it's only the first step there's also of course talking about how we 
consume energy and, and the system that we have in general, where right now we're viewing the development of society and basing it on the impossible everlasting growth of the global north based on the exploit over exploitation really of the global south instead of basing it on the quality of people's lives and how happy people are and how you know people are living and, and a lot of people even in the global north like especially the working class there aren't living like the best life they should be um, because of the systems of injustice that we are living in and so really to get rid of you know, climate injustice altogether. It's really about changing the system that we have because maybe we'll live in a less warm world if the renewable energy plants are still displacing fisher folk or farmers or indigenous peoples. So that it's the same kind of injustice where the people who are least responsible and most vulnerable are left behind once again. And that's what we're trying to change really. And kind of going back real quick, but how do you feel someone like me and you who are younger generation who are kind of growing up in this climate change era if you will how do you think those differ from the perspective of people like our parents or our grandparents or those older generations who maybe were also passionate about it because i know there was kind of a surge in the 80s where people became passionate about it but who are also still all right let's put this off for just one more year so kind of mentality I think that mentality comes from a tiredness. I don't know. I don't know how they think, but, but yeah. from what I see, it comes from a tiredness of the system that we're living in. You know, after living for so long, being battered by all the injustices, you kind of get desensitized. And it's up to the young people to remind people that this is not something that we should be accepting. This isn't something that we should be compromising. Um and oftentimes, really, it's not just young people. It's also the marginalized communities. They aren't desensitized to this. Uh, when people say it's the older generation's fault that the climate crisis is happening, I'm always like, oh, it's not all older generation. Like, indigenous peoples who are older have absolutely nothing to do with this. It's a very specific sector of older generations, the multinational companies, the fossil fuel industries. And we have to name these enemies and these craters to humanity, really, because that's how we really start to talk about the solutions that we need it's not necessarily old versus young but really combining that intergenerational struggle for our planet and i think it really is that desensitizing and being tired and you know having to think about all these responsibilities in life you know the system doesn't want you to be an activist the system doesn't want you to want it to change so that it'll do whatever it can to keep you busy with other things <laughs> and, and try to put all these notions and dreams of a better future at bay but that's why the younger generation is here to keep pushing for that and reminding them that no what you were fighting for is right and we have to keep fighting for it exactly what hopes do you have for the future what what are you seeing or experiencing now that you're like okay i have hope it's going to be okay really my hope lies in the people um seeing the movement of activists across the world growing not just in quantity but also growing in terms of becoming more intersectional activists and learning from each other and holding each other accountable and really just fighting alongside each other that gives me so much hope because then there's someone everywhere there's so many of us fighting for the same thing how could we lose when we're doing so much all the time and so that's really what gives me so much hope, knowing that 
we're also just joining the fight of environmental defenders who are already so strong even without us. And so when I think of that, I always think empires have fallen in the past. It's only a matter of time until this one does too. Absolutely. So that's kind of all the questions I have. So I'm leaving it up to you. Is there anything else you want to add? Any other points? Anything else? I think it's just so important that we remember that we don't have to be a perfect activist. There is no one definition of activism. I am a specific set of activists, but there are so many different forms of activism that you can get into it as long as you're doing it with a community and you're learning from other people, especially people outside of your bubble of privilege. And that's what activism is really about, just being able to do what you can to change things and, and constantly learning and growing and holding each other accountable. And we don't need a million, oh, we don't need one perfect activist. We need a million bad activists. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think now it's kind of everybody's an activist. Everybody is a part. It always has affected everyone, but it's really starting to affect everyone. Um, And like you said, especially those marginalized communities, those underprivileged communities, those southern global communities are experiencing it even more. So we all have to just do our parts to help fellow human race. (laughs) I agree 100%. Like, really, this is just about the fight for our lives. So we shouldn't be compromising in any way. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. I know you have another interview very, very soon. So I will let you go on to more activism and talk to more amazing people. But thank you. Seriously, thank you so much. This means so much. I have like followed your account for so long and like I've watched your interviews and everything. So it's really a dream come true to interview you. Thank you so much. I hope um, it goes well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Wow, that was incredible. Hi, I'm just blown away. Thank you again to Mitzi Jonel Tan for letting me interview her and sharing her insight with us. It was amazing to not only hear from a youth perspective, but somebody who's from the global south and a country that's been hit really hard by climate change. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and follow this podcast, rate us five stars. And while you're at it, If you're looking for more climate change content, follow my Instagram at Cries for Climate and follow Mitzi Jonelle Tan's Instagram at Mitzi Jonelle. Thank you again for listening. It means the world to me and I'll see you next week.